I'm Taylor. I'm Chase. And this is the Big Y Podcast. Coming to you from the Workman Success Systems Studios podcast closet in sunny Salt Lake City, it's the Big Y Podcast. The show discovering the why of it all. In this episode, we're talking with the one and only Terry Murphy, dynamic business builder, spitfire leader, coach, writer, and native Chicago daughter, among many other things. We're talking to her about her roots in real estate and her tireless efforts to promote women the world over through the Women's Wisdom Network, a group she founded. We're also trying to figure out, can you put anchovies on a Chicago dog? Join us after this. Episode two. We did it. We made it. Which, Terry's surprised, probably. I think Terry believed in us. At least a little. Enough to come on. I mean, we got, this is a. Hey, I'm here. This is a get. People at home, this is a big get. Um, we're very thrilled and excited yeah. to be talking to Terry, Terry Murphy, the, the one Murph. and only, the Murph, the Murph. The Murph. Yeah. You know her as a celebrated speaker and a longtime contributor to Realty Times and Real Estate Magazine, and the author, offer the author, offer I offer two, author of five books. Yeah, five books, or, or including the forthcoming Smart Women, Smarter Choices. Yep. We know her as a master real estate coach. The absolute life of the party. Going to be the life of the podcast. Neurotic overachiever. <laughs> Neurotic overachiever, self-proclaimed. Someone we'd probably be afraid to meet in a dark parking lot. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't be safe. No. Terry but Murphy. She's here to talk to us about her storied life and what makes her tick, what's going on inside that makes her the fabulous and vivacious and impactful person that she is. I am going to cancel therapy because that is really nice. (laughs) (laughs) But first, before we get into that, Mm. we would like to play with you our favorite game, Can You Put That on a Chicago Dog? The rules are simple. We list a food item. You tell us if we could put it on a Chicago dog or not. We're talking as in food dog. Hot dog, yes. Okay, yeah, just checking. Clarity is important. (laughs) Very important. We value communication Trust me, I've here. been married before. <laughs> <laughs> because I've seen a Chicago-style hot dog, and I think you can put anything on it. They're, they're huge. Yeah. They're barely hot dogs anymore for me, who's a, a full meal. A bumpkin. So, uh, chili. Yes. Lots a Chicago chili dog. Yeah. Uh, what else? Buffalo wings. No. Really? Could do it. Come on much. now. Okay. Yeah. A full Carolina Reaper pepper. Ooh, that would be um, awful, wouldn't it? I think so. Yeah, that would, to me, not be a good thing. I get heartburn from cheese pizza. I just look, (laughs) I get that, (laughs) yeah. No, uh, it's really interesting in Chicago because if you ask for ketchup, they will hurt you. (laughs) Yeah, there's no need to put ketchup on a hot dog. Um, What about a little dash of Worcester sauce? You do that well. It's good. We all know what you're talking about. <laughs> the one I can't pronounce. Yeah, but why would That's you tough. want... That's kind of a salty, vinegary thing. You know, it depends, again, if you put a chili on it or a barbecue sauce yeah. on it. You put North Carolina bar versus Memphis oh, versus yeah. Texas. That's all going to change. But then again, why are you eating hot dogs, seriously? No. Uh, anchovies? Oh, oh, that, oh, that just sounds nasty. <laughs> Agreed on that. Okay, so we're going to keep going with the hot dog thing, huh? 
We're never going to stop. We have 10 more. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's 10 things you can you put a chair in a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> what else are we going to do with a hot dog? So we're asking about that because we know you have a, a rich and storied background in Chi-Town. Chi-Town's the place. Um, what was it like there coming up? Well, you know, I grew up uh, a really, really long time ago. Yes, there was running water, but uh, it was very um, hood-oriented, you know. So the Germans lived here and the Italians lived over here, and it was very... Um, and, and that's because there was uh, familiarity, right? And then, and then we moved into the place where there were no Italians and immediately put up a statue of the Virgin Mary, which, of course, delighted all the Anglo-Saxons <laughs> on the block and planted hyacinths around it. All, we had the, no all food. the wasps having a yeah, great time. We had no food, but we had this beautiful um, tribute to the Blessed Mother. And, and so my poor uh, mother uh, baked and cooked for everybody and eventually won them over. But it was, um, it was an idyllic time. I mean, you know, they threw you out of the house at, in the morning and went, don't come back until lunch. <laughs> nobody cared. You know, you could put a sign across the kid saying, take this kid, nobody would take them. <laughs> so it was, it was a different time. It was, uh, it was I, I'll say pure. Maybe we didn't know that then, but it was, uh, it was an idyllic time to be a kid. I mean, you ride your bike anywhere you went to the grocery store by yourself you took buses by yourself it was just not what do i want to say as um it was a lot freer time i think and it was a great time to grow up uh it was after the war i mean i met that generation where there was more abundance um we because my family was first generation italian had a garden so literally you'd go out the door and get dinner you know, yeah. there'd be salad and beans and whatever, tomatoes. And it was, uh, we thought everybody did that, right? We, I thought everybody ate pasta at noon on Sunday. I moved to the South and they don't even eat pasta on Sunday. <laughs> they eat chicken, baked chicken. At five, we're all past that by that time, right? <laughs> yeah, it's right after church. So uh, again, it's very, um, you know, ethnic driven and it's very um, uh, demographically driven. And we had such a big family. We had, what, nine kids or more. And so there was. Yeah, no, I mean, there was. My, my parents had tremendous um, uh, value to feed people. And so if a kid was there, manja. They're getting fed. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. going to get fed, whether they like it or not. And that sounds awesome. It is if you were an only kid. I wanted to be an only kid mm. so that there was a trust fund, but it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> So you talk about this idyllic or idyllic free time to grow up. And then you were talking to us earlier. What was your first job? Well, I was desperate. At, at that point, my parents moved out of the city and moved to a very rural area. And that's the first time I really saw grasshoppers in abundance. It was very scary. And I wanted to work. I, I wanted to be independent and work and make some money. So I found a job at a bank, a local bank, and I told him I was 16 years old. Were you 16 years old? No. I was 14 and a half. But I wore a dress, you know, so I would look older. And the first day I get there, they're like, okay, tomorrow, show up in your old clothes because you're going to be cleaning safety deposit boxes. <laughs> so my mother had made me this beautiful pink dress to be businessy, yeah. and I had to go home and take it off and then wear rubber gloves and clean safety deposit boxes. <laughs> Is that all they had you do? No, I was an operation. I actually ran the proofing department. 
okay. and the proofing department is um, it's all uh, digitized now. But in the that time, you um, you balance the entire teller series, the bank, mm. so all the negatives, all the you know, all the debits, all the credits, and. Anybody that knows me knows I had struggled with fractions, so here I am doing all these numbers, right? But I did it, and it was in the basement of the bank, so it was freezing down there. And I was terrified that they would ask for my birth certificate. When would an employer <laughs> ask for your birth certificate? Has that ever happened to no, you? No, but I mean, I was my first job. I'm like, oh my God, what if they find out? But what a what a responsibility for a kid, yeah. you know? It was it, uh, it 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 made me the neurotic I am today. <laughs> But it was a great it was a great learning experience. I learned because I remember she said, "Here, add up the credits and the debits." So I did, all together. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. All in one. Yep. I said, you asked me to add them. I did. Right. <laughs> They're together. It's no. a big number. And so then, from there, at some point, you get into real estate. How did that? So um, actually, I developed campgrounds in between all that. Oh, um, like like like, KOAs like and stuff? five star woodalls. Oh. Yeah, I developed campgrounds, um, which is still there. And actually, it was the beginning of my real estate career, if you want the truth, because I uh, and everything was done on paper because we didn't have uh, the programs we have now. But people would want the same <coughs> site every year because they had a, you know an emotional oh, attachment like visitors. To it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we're only open 164 okay. operational days. Yeah, and um, and so you had this big board. And I would write them earlier because it was sort of like farming. To me, it was the beginning of farming. And I would like, okay, we're going to reserve number 176 for you because you like it. And and it created a community, which I didn't even understand at the time. But I was really the only one that was working that part of the relationship. And it paid off. I mean, these people, so essentially what happened is after a number of years of being a transitional campground in Wisconsin Dells, uh, it was converted to a the first condominium concept, the 99-year lease, for the pads, and it was uh, it was revolutionary at the time. But it just goes to show you what happens when you build community. You build that loyalty, that retention. It works in every business. But I didn't know that. You were just doing it by accident. I did it because there was I had I yeah, and then I um, that was done, and I moved back to Illinois and got a job as a secretary to a large uh, to one of the big local developers and one of the developments was well, one of his businesses besides um, oh strip you know strips malls was uh, management was uh, houses you know he's building houses and condos and and so he said well, you're going to be a closing officer and uh, I had to learn how to close a transaction and so I had you know, they said, you have to get your real estate license to do that. And I'm thinking, isn't that stocks and bonds? I mean, I had no idea. Italians never move, uh, except in the middle of the night. And so I had no idea how to make that work. And I, and I studied and got my license. But I, my timing was so brilliant because the interest rates rose to over, you know, 20%. And Ideal time to get in. That was me. Yeah. Excellent timing. Excellent timing. But I, I, I believed in relationship marketing. So... The name of the company was Applegate, and we had apples as a premium. So when you went on a listing appointment, brought a little thing of apples, and I followed up with apple grams and apple pies and apple, you know, this is before Apple computers. <laughs> so it was, um, I, everybody knew who I was. You know, I mean, I was, uh, I was relentless because there, the, the boats had burned. I mean, what was I going to do? Yeah. 
and um, eventually became a full-time realtor and eventually just carried that neurosis over because I was listing and selling about about 10 to 14 homes a, year, uh, a month by myself. And then Dearborn approached me, NAR approached me and said, how are you doing that? I'm like, I don't know, it's just working. It's the apples, that's the... No, actually, uh, actually I, I, you know, I had left Applegate, but I had such good training there. Penny Surratt uh, was my manager at the time, and they taught us negotiation. It was the, one of the first times you really got training on negotiating and whatever. I was a really good people reader because <laughs> when you grow up in a crazy Italian environment, you're scanning all the time. <laughs> so I really did learn how to get some pretty good people skills on that. But, um, but I mean, I'd been entrepreneurial my, my whole life. I remember as a little kid having lemonade stands. I did hair. I would go up and down in the, you know, in those days the people went out on Saturday nights and I would literally roll their hair at 10 and then comb it out at 2. I mean, I was entrepreneurial because I was getting off the farm. Yeah. I was not staying. And uh, so we wrote the first book. It was pub published by Dibron and Terry Murphy's Listing and Selling Secrets. Uh, and then we followed it up a couple years later with the e-listing and e-selling secrets because the Internet came in. Yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, here's the thing. In real estate, if you understand the value of the relationship, in any business, when you recognize, people want three things, seen, uh, valued, and heard. Seen, heard, and valued, that's what they want. And, and I didn't believe that you could make this incredible connection with someone, you know, selling their biggest asset and then letting it go. I mean, I still have clients that call me from 30 years ago. And to me, that's the gift. That's, it's really the gift of relationships. Some of those people you never want to see again, and you're happy they moved to Montana. <laughs> but then there's other people you're like, oh, you, were, you know, they were yeah, such neat, neat right. people. And it, everybody taught you something. Every transaction taught you something. You made relationships with the appraisers, with the inspectors. Um, I literally had, uh, in my pre-appointment package, recommendations for those people. So... In any business, when you, uh, when you connect resources for people who need them and you become that celebrity authority that they can know and trust because you're not getting kickbacks or you know, right. free valves or something, um, that's a comfort zone. You make people feel safe. What's wrong with that, right? Yeah, yeah. that sounds great. I know now you talk a lot about emotional intelligence in interpersonal relationships and in business relationships. Is that? It doesn't sound that's like that's something that's come to recently. Yeah, recently. no. Um, <laughs> you know what I learned? Like, what it, role does that play in? EI is in. It's kind. First of all, it sounds really shishi, doesn't it? Emotional intelligence, not to be confused with. Sounds academic. It does. And Chase for, is like. Very and for somebody who didn't get to go to college, that was yeah. very cool. Um, I, I've always had a quest to connect, on any level with living things. And with people, uh, and, I, and so I, it became a fascination. So I studied uh, neurolinguistics. I studied, you know, body language. I studied uh, conversational intelligence. In seven seconds, you write a story when you see someone, and it's other than conscious. You know, the, the back of your brain, the amygdala goes, you know, good, bad, fight, flight, and the front goes, settle down. Uh, and, and you, you uh, but you still make an impression. I mean, you still have uh, unbiased, you have biases that you don't know you have, unconscious biases. You know, you see somebody that's all tatted up or, you know, and you're making an assumption. Right. 
somebody who does, who has that resting face, you're making an assumption. Two scruffy long hairs, you're making uh, an better assumption. hair than I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it, it it tells you how wrong you can be, and yeah. it tells you how how in error that is. But you you have to forgive people, which brings up the empathy piece, which is what EI is all about. Because I like to, I know that God is going to hurt me to say this, but you know, Father, forgive them. They know not because you know not. You're writing a story based on your beliefs and your experiences and your uh, visions, and, and they're often incorrect. So I would rather get out of judgment and into curiosity. And everybody brings this magnificent piece of a puzzle to anyone in their reality. And so uh, emotional intelligence for me was what was the next level of connecting? And empathy, uh, as I studied HBR, um, Harvard Business Review, talked about it being the number one leadership uh, goal, and that was several years ago. That was a couple years ago. And that's what EI really is. It's that social awareness. And again, you know, you, you don't want to be a clod. You just didn't know, you know, that that you're you're being a whack job over here because you didn't see it, and. Then you add generational, you add gender, you add ethnicity, you add culture. Uh, oh man, it's hard to communicate and everybody thinks they do and guess what, you don't. But people with EI, and I've always been a, a, a student of education or helping people get educated, uh, people that study EI, 10% more, these are not my statistics, but uh, Bradbury made them. 10% more profitable, 10% more income. 29,000 29, was the average of more income if you have a higher I, EI. Whoa. So it, you know, IQ is important, uh, but not as important as EQ. Because if you can't get along with people, if you're just a, not a wonderful person, um, I was going to say butthead, but I don't think you can say that, can you? Uh, not anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cancel culture, it's too far. It's a little racy, but um, it... There's a reason, right? Everybody has a why behind that, which you know ties into your why. Why are they like that? It's usually fear, because there's really only two things, fear or love. And if people are safe, fear is gone. So EI to me is one of the secret weapons that I think going forward, it allows us to give respect to the other person because they came from a different place, different vortex of time, life, experience, culture, whatever. And that doesn't make it bad, it's just not yours. Come on, everybody makes some kind of ravioli, right? I mean, yeah. it's all, we're all people with energy. And so, to me, why not invest a little time? And EQ is just an awareness. And the more aware you get, the better relationships you have. So if you're a team leader, if you're a parent, if you've got a mother-in-law from, you know, there, um, you, can, <laughs> you can work so much better because you have the secret weapon, my opinion. So when you talk about, you, you mentioned leadership, um, where, where does a leader start with emotional intelligence? Well, that's such a good question. Thank you. Uh, leadership is not about, well, most people default leadership is like, you're the leader, we're going to follow, yay. That's not it. Uh, leadership, leaders develop other leaders. And especially in a time where team collect, collaboration is so important, collective intellect out, will out can I say the word Trump, can out-Trump every, uh, every other kind of collaboration because you're bringing in all of the perceptions and, the, and the, intel, you know, the intellectual experiences of other people. And a good leader 
will listen more than they talk. A good leader will, uh, as Dr. Rellies talks about, ask and drain and then, then tell. Because you think about the generations. Um, we, we'd hired um, some college kids, you know, for the summer, and they would come up with these ideas we wouldn't even think about. We would, of course, they also wanted half of the company. Um, but you know what I'm saying? It's like you, as a leader, when you can um, celebrate and recognize, it's validation most of the time. I might say, you know what, that's a really good idea. It might be better to work it here because it'll, and, and that can be respected, but I validated that you came across with that. It is valuable. Perhaps my experience says maybe it'd be better here. What do you think? How would that work? Uh, a good leader is so safe that people will work with you no matter what. And that's really good for like a team, a company. I mean, think about companies where people won't leave. I mean, retention costs a fortune. To train somebody is a minimum $1,700. We did a big program for the car industry. They were having a turnover in salespeople to the tune of almost like 68%. Whoa, they were coming nice. in, boom, gone, gone. And we, uh, the company that I was working with had an algorithm assessment that figured out who were the top performers, what was it in their behavioral styles, we, we didn't even talk about behavioral styles and motivators. But when you understand where people shine, you don't put them where they struggle. People go towards pleasure, away from pain. And they cut that, trend, that, uh, that churn to like 32%. Uh, yay, I mean, that yeah, costs a company a fortune when you think yeah. about it. Not even the bookkeeping. Can you measure the bookkeeping? <laughs> or numbers. Uh, yeah, so. So you, when you think about um, hiring, retaining, building a real team, I've got one client, she started early in her, in her career, in her business, and to this day she has um, uh, staff and, and team that have been there for 30 years. That's, that's really good. Because when a good team leader understands that I don't win, we win. I help you live your life by design, not by default because of maybe my experience or my connections or my, you know, my, my social circle. Having that uh, mentorship, so leadership to me eventually can morph into mentorship because you're gonna do it differently and most probably better because of the tools that you have and the things you're exposed to. I like how, how you talk about, it seems like for, for you leadership is not I'm in charge, I'm going to tell you what to do, or you're in charge, I'm going to follow you. It's let's do this thing together and kind of build something. Is that kind of where this, um, that seems like, I don't want to tell me if this is true. That feels like that's an animating impulse behind your work with the Women? Women's Wisdom Network. Yeah. So a quick story. I was an uh, NAR. I was substituting for a really big deal. She couldn't make it for the Realtor magazine. Now I'm a baby writer for Realty Times. Um, I never had any journalism. I'm feeling every every self-doubt on the planet, right? Yeah. And I go- Nothing like writing to make you feel vulnerable about oh, everything you've ever done. In your life, in As your life. As two hack writers. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but know. you know what? You just never know. That one word's gonna resonate with somebody. But anyway, I was totally out of my league. 
and I had to go to this place, and I was going to go with all these you know, presidents of NAR, and I'm thinking, oh my God, do they know? Are they going to let me in? It's going to yeah. be so embarrassing. And the imposter uh, syndrome. Oh, on a capital I. Yeah, I mean, I was just <laughs> terrified to do this, but she made me do it. And I get there, and the first thing that happens is a, a guy, and I didn't know the recording, they went, I'm thinking, oh, see, here it starts. <laughs> No, 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 no. I just wanted to slither out the back, right? <laughs> and uh, then they were done recording, and he's like, okay, so, and who are you? Uh, I'm a physical being having a divine experience. I don't know. About to get translated? Yeah. <laughs> I was just a wreck. Please, God, take me. And this, this woman comes in. Uh, she's a little taller than I am, and she just scoops me up. She just scoops me up. And she's from Texas. Of course, they're scoopers. And <laughs> She scoops me up, and she sits me down, and we all start talking. And on the way back, she insists, and her name is Petey Parker, insists on paying for this, the cab. I'm like, oh, you cannot do that, see, because I would have to buy you a car, you know, because yeah. you were so kind. We are still friends today, but I will never forget the experience, remember? You'll never forget how people treat you. My yeah, Angela. what did that do for your... It made me understand that when you are in, in, invited to be inclusive... That, that takes down barriers that years of anything else won't. And I realized that there were plenty of women, because I was, as a writer, I was interviewing a lot of people. I had my own radio show. I had a television show. I created the first, um, it was a satellite training network called IRTV, so I was interviewing all the time. And I would find out that some of these big deals also had, they were human, you know, that they had, fears and weaknesses and strengths like everybody else. And I thought, oh my God, is that true? Well, how many women out there are laboring under misconceptions about their worth, their value? And and as you know from some of the things that I've written, uh, and I, again, I'm not, uh, I don't want to say I'm uh, over the top on this, but I mean, I, I wanted to give women opportunities for education that I was denied because I was of my ethnic background at that time. And so college was out. You had to work and feed the family. And so I took classes whenever I could. And I thought, well, I've got all these resources because I'm interviewing all these big deal people. So why, why don't I make a community where women can come and get education or ideas or mentorship and it doesn't cost them anything? And the Internet was fairly new at the time. It wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. So um, we did podcasts before. Podcasts were because were, we didn't have bandwidth or we didn't have a video. We didn't yeah. have any of that stuff yet, and um, and it was it was interesting. I did over four hundred interviews, uh, so you could get information about how to start a business or how to do a business plan, where you really couldn't get it before unless you went to a library. But a lot of these women had families, and so this was a seamless way for them to get information from an expert without paying for it. That was the idea. Well, they didn't have to spend the time resource either right. to, to look for any of those. Oh, I mean, no disrespect, but if uh, women in general will be, and they have high adaptability. If we wrote the One Minute Negotiator, and I studied very hard on women in negotiating, and they said, oh, men negotiate. No, it, actually, it's 50-50. Men are more competitive in their negotiation strategy than a woman. Part of the reason for that can be that we have high adaptability. 
And you would have to. You know, you can't have a brand new baby who's crying and you're going, uh, my break's not over for five minutes. You know, you just you kind of have to roll. We're the collaborators in a social situation. And so that would lead to accommodation. Well, accommodation, and I just wrote about this this morning, leads to um, fuzzy boundaries. And the fuzzy boundaries can be interpreted in a negotiation as weakness. And then if you're Catholic, you know, it can be like this altruistic thing because, oh, yeah, let me starve, but here's my last cookie. So <laughs> Putting someone else first. Yeah, and, and I just, I, like I just wrote about this this morning, you need to be the star of your own life. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. If you don't love yourself, you can't love someone else. And that's a hard one because we all go, oh, yeah, but look at this and look at that. I'm not tall. I'm not, you know. And you're like, oh, shut up, okay? You're, you're human. Even the perfect girls are not, and you learn that when you counsel to Miss Americas, which I've done. They got a crown and a sash. The world said they were beautiful, and they're like, you know. But, but I know all the other things that they're not they're, seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's the me. duct tape. And so, <laughs> so you say to yourself, okay, if we're all perfectly imperfect, what if that message was out there so that you women could do a more open job of being your best you. And that's still hard today. I mean, I, I will tell you, I'm like, I really want to do this, but is that your best you? And honestly, if you can develop you based on your spot in the universe and your time and space and influences and social pressures and whatever, you have won. And if you don't like me and he does or he doesn't like me and you do, it's okay, right? So. That was my whole goal with Women's Wisdom Network. Yeah. And so uh, when I wrote the book, Smart Women, Smarter Choices, using a dash of science to find the best partner, that's when I realized that, uh, that women need to, uh, that's this, that women are mean, you know, they're mean to each other, they want to help each other in business. Um, I don't buy that. Uh, the people of a higher influence always want to give a hand up if they can. Not a hand out, a hand up. And Women's Wisdom Network did that. The book did that. Um, Realty Times wanted to put a spotlight on that. And I found that the men wanted to talk. And I thought to myself, there is a place for the men to have a voice in this book to give it balance and not to make it gender specific. And so I, I bought the URL and created a whole segment in the book and on the, on the site of Realty Times um, in the men's room with Murph because I wanted the men's room yeah. for them. And I, you know, I was being a little snarky with it, but, <laughs> but it was, title. it's it fun, really it was fun. And that's where I, and for a search engine optimization, yeah. I wanted the male voices there. How beautiful to get perspective from both. Yeah. How, I mean, the blend is, is where, you know, no one, no one person is right, no one vision is right. And so- and Curiosity, uh, like you were saying before. Get into curiosity. It's so much more fascinating than judgment. And so often we're wrong, just so often. Um, everybody brings this magic sauce. And it, when you get to, to celebrate it, it's so cool. So we've talked about your background coming up, talked about some of the really awesome things that you've been involved with. I think just the tip of the iceberg, um, we could do you Probably were multitudes, Yeah. Um, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in your career or your life, and what has kept you going through them? Because obviously you didn't quit. Oh, I'm never going to quit. 
I mean, a concrete wall didn't stop me, right? I'm not going to let that go. Um, the biggest challenges were learning to walk again. That was one, because I had a bad accident. Uh, being a, a leadership trainer in the Middle East in the middle of the Gaza War, that was terrifying and ex exquisitely eye-opening at the same time. Um, believing in myself, because I, I like everybody, I, I had my own issues about, mm, you know, you had that little voice, who do you think you are kind of thing. Yeah. Was I good enough? Was I? Uh, and part of that was the uh, disease to please, which made me survive as a kid. Uh, the challenges are not uh, not letting the old man in, as uh, uh, what's his name, Clint Eastwood always says, <laughs> because if you stay uh, focused on the vitality of life, the miracles that show up every day, um, the joy that comes your way in the simplest and most sacred forms, uh, it, you can't help but be jubilant about life. You just cannot. And it can be something as simple as, you know, seeing a hummingbird. Yesterday I saw a hummingbird. I was the only one, so I'm sure they thought I was hallucinating, but there was this <laughs> beautiful hummingbird that came. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, you know, wow. Yeah. That was um, amazing. Was Did you make money? No, you don't have to make money. I, I just believe that the challenges we have in this society is to stay focused. When you study entrepreneurs and you study any business, you can get so digiphrenic. That was a, a term by Douglas Rushkoff in you know, Future Shock when he talks about how we've trained our brains to you know, multitask and, and we're constantly shifting from thing to thing because we're getting bombarded by our everything. Yeah. And every interruption costs you 23 minutes and 17 seconds of focus. Your analog brain cannot, cannot react like a computer. It is a brain. And so what's your biggest challenge? Focus. What you focus on, you'll see more of. So what, you're, what are you focusing on? You, you have the boundary thing, again, for any men or women, the um, focusing on, you say, that sounds so Pollyanna, but focusing on the positive Every negative, every roadblock, you either get the rabbit hole or the roadblock makes you go a different direction. Roadblocks are, they're, they can be boogers, but they're good ones because you have to go a different direction, see something totally different. Yeah. That has been some of our biggest uh, accomplishments and changes and shifts and transitions and transformations because we went a different direction. Look what COVID did. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's, not, it's still the craziest, most whacked thing that has ever happened in our lifetimes. And But yet, people stayed home. People got to eat dinner together. People got virtual. People learned not, that they didn't have to drive everywhere. People put online businesses back on. Uh, yes, many things negatively happened, but what were the good things? Focus. Yeah, it's been, this has been kind of like a big thing that I've noticed a lot more is like, you have to hold two truths in your head, or more, all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, but what people don't realize, you ever have one of those people in your life that um, they're, they're, you know, Veronica victim? You know, oh, oh, yeah. The dog this is where I, I, I just want to keep talking about this part specifically. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. And I have a sister like that. We call her uh, Kathy the Whiner um, because <laughs> she, uh, she just, everything's like, well, so you had to know my Italian grandmother. If you called her and you say, hey, Nan, how you doing? She'd go, I'm almost dead. And you'd be like, well, what should I do? Call back later? I mean, what do you do? <laughs> right? And Kath, who really didn't know her, is the same way. You go, Kath, how's it going? Well, it's nice now, but you know it's going to rain. And you're like, okay. And then she married a guy named Wayne. We called him the Wainer and the Winer. 
because he was a the pharmacist and, you know, we figured free drugs. But um, <laughs> she still to this day looks at everything with this black cloud, half, oh, half empty thing. And you're just going to get more of that because that's what you're looking at. Your reticular activating system is designed for that. You find what you look for. Yeah. And, and sometimes in spades, right? So what if just once you can suspend judgment, get into curiosity? What if it would work out? Right. What if it you always won instead of you always lost? Uh, it's going to change your life. And I'm not saying be Pollyanna. Hello. I mean, I'm Catholic and stuff. But I'm saying that it would profoundly change how we look at everything. And you look at um, your you look at what bombards you every day with news. Twenty four seven. They it has to be you know, breaking news and it has to be negative and it has to be death and destruction somewhere. I'm sorry about that, and I will pray for those people, but I am grateful. Gratitude's the one thing that grounds you, and I learned that really, really intensely after I had my uh, little interruption. And Sarah Band Brainick in her book, um, her gratitude book, uh, this was written by another woman, it just says, gratitude, you know, gratitude makes a, a dinner a feast, it makes friends, family, it, it, it it just expands everything because when you focus on gratitude, you get more. So watch what you focus on. Nice. Um, um, I wanted to ask, we, we joke that you've had multiple. jobs. A hundred jobs, a hundred yeah. careers, hundred lifetimes. Incredible. <laughs> um, all in a period of 40 total years, Terry. Yeah, 40. 40. years young. Yeah. Um, what are you still chasing? I'm going to get this book published. Uh, smart Women, Smarter Choices is, you know, I keep thinking, why won't it go away? You know how you have a, a project and think, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. Keeps itching, yeah. No, it won't go away. And, uh, and I just feel like if we can show more people contrast, and I like to make this joke. My family came over, they, my, my uncle got off the plane, you know, with grapevines in his jacket and that and some cheese, so he smelled really bad. But that was the days that nobody, you know, put you through metal detectors. Yeah. They made their own wine. It was just gross. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was brown and cloudy and muddy looking. It tasted awful. And I thought that's what wine was because that was what, what was on the table. And they drank it every night. And then I grew up a little bit and I went to a wine tasting and there was red and white and pink. And I thought, oh my gosh, when did they invent that? Right? Not knowing that it had been there since <laughs> Jesus. first. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so there's no contrast. And I think when you understand contrast, you would make a different choice. But so often people don't have contrast. I mean, if you're in an area that everybody does the same thing, you, you don't have any contrast. So what if we, meaning collectively we, could bring new vision to different people so they could do things differently? Or that they, they didn't have a glass ceiling? Or they they didn't have to be, you know... X to be a model or this to be a, a you know, a physicist or whatever. Uh, the STEM program right now for women in, uh, you know, aeronautics and that kind of stuff. Why not? Okay. And so the more we can show people their possibilities, which is, I think, what coaching and consulting and mentoring is all about, uh, imagine what it does when even just every, but if every one of us did that one little step, how different our world would be. That would be my thought. 
One more question uh -oh. before we're out of time. Mm. In one sentence, what is your big why? I know you're going to ask the hard question last. <laughs> it's all set up. In one sense, it would be um, to leave the earth and having left everything on the table. No regrets, flat out, just did it. Be the best you can be. Nice. All right. Terry Murphy, everybody. The best. Thanks, Terry. Molto piacere, molto piacere. Pleasure's mine. Big thanks to Terry Murphy for taking the time to talk to us today. You can find out more about the Women's Wisdom Network. That's toughy. At womenswisdomnetwork.com. The Big Why is produced by Workman Success Systems under the direction of April Critchfield. Technical assistance in video by Patrick Ingerson. Graphic design by Matt Hill and Don Lamson. Marketing assistance by Jordan Meyer. Show is executive produced by Aiden Keenan. I'm Taylor. I'm Chase. This, this has, has been, been the, the Big Why. It's not always about real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.